everyone. So right now, this is the continuation to the discussions, particularly on on development economics, talking about con comparative economic development. So last time, I ended right before we start to discuss the 10 features of developing countries that they had have in common, particularly on breaking down. So on the last segment, it was actually, it, it took quite a while. So I, I, I decided to, to, to divide these segments and create another episode for talking about the 10 features. And unfortunately, I forgot to, to do this one, this part. And instead, I proceeded to the next half of the discussion. So this one, this part will be a brief discussion of the breakdown on the 10 features that developing countries have in common. So this is in continuation to the second episode of D stands for development in our podcast discussions. So when we talk about the developing countries, there are certain traits or certain features that we could somehow describe. This is a discussion before arriving to comparing the developing and developed world. So before we tackle about the comparative analysis on the developed world and the developing countries, let's first try to understand what similarities do these developing countries have in common? And are they somewhat universal for most of the countries or are they rather specific or, or somewhat unique depending on location or its history, etc., etc. So without further ado, let's go right into our discussions. All right, so one of the main or one of the primary indicators that would we could classify that developing countries have in common would be particularly on productivity. So one of the classifications of development, particularly on the traditional mode of development, is, of course, economic productivity, meaning that the better your economic economy functions, the better your chances of transitioning to a developing state. But that is not really the case for most of the developing countries, wherein they are uh, most, in fact, all of the developing countries have uh, the characteristics of having lower levels of productivity and living. So what do we mean by it? So at very low incomes or low income levels, so a vicious cycle makes it in. So unlike the traditional model of development as seen in the next uh, in the next uh, slide, the one where I, there, there is a, a diagram taken where traditionally for countries to develop, let's let's start particularly on on let's say new and local regional thresholds so let's say they they created new industries and then or new new products and that product was successful that helped the economy boom or uh, helped the economy invest more larger industries and then if that industry becomes successful they will ex uh, experience what we call as the multiplier multiplier effect and uh, it cycles on until that company or that industry begins to develop and begins to spend more for the, for the development. A good example of that would be like a franchising. So you, uh, we have like, uh, let's say this company uh, named as Shakes. So it's it's starting to produce uh, fruit shakes at the, 
one of its first regional thresholds. So it's it let's say it's it starts to sell fruits, for example. And then once that that's uh, that industry starts to to become stable, it tries to branch out and creates new or large and large industries. So for example of that would be like instead of now make selling fruits, you decided to franchise on on selling uh, shakes or fruit shakes, and then you experience a boom in that industry, and then you will re you will experience a multiplier effect, and then you will create more industries that could support your economy. That is that is the the traditional notion of how economies would develop. That's what is viewed classically, and and aside from that. Since you are able to, to, to boom your industry, you are also able to enhance the possibility for innovation. So instead of selling shakes alone, you, you try to branch out from other things. So you're not anymore selling shakes, you're selling uh, other products like uh, manufacture, manufacturing <laughs> or whatever, whatever invention you might try to, to seek out. So, or instead of fruits, you're now, you are now investing or you are now starting to sell food or restaurants for example and then later on you are able to 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 establish your own your mall so the bigger the bigger the benefits the the bigger industries you create that is the traditional notion of development where just just keep on investing just let the market grow and then we will experience development but that is not really the case for the developing countries because instead of developing with that repeated cycle instead of experiencing the multiplier effect we are somewhat experiencing the stagnation so we're not multiplying we're stagnating and this is what the scholars of economics particularly like Gunnar Myrdal would argue as a circular cumulative causation or in other words the poverty trap although it's a very complex theory but just simply giving you the idea that instead of innovating so not really it's not really the positive scenario instead of creating more innovations more development and experiencing the multiplier effect it's more or less stagnating so you're keeping the economic activity stagnating you're, there's no way that you are developing you are investing but it's it's just the same you've been you've been doing that company for years and there's nothing nothing to to improve on so that means your gdp or your growth will slowly increase or in fact not increase at all that's one of the indicators first that uh, developing countries have in common wherein their industries are not experiencing the boom or the multiplier effect or multiplier phenomenon and enhancement of innovation as experienced by the other developed countries another example or indicator would be low levels of human capital so human capital pertains to to health education and skills so this is very essential for a growing economy because without human capital there is no way whatsoever your country can develop because human uh, you, the the human resource is simply uneducated to to know various various uh, trades or to learn other skills and they are not also given further investments meaning they are also stagnating with the with the skills or capabilities that they inherently know for example uh for you to transition into a developing market, you must transfer. Uh, you must transition from an uh, agricultural state to an industrial state. So you move from farming to manufacturing. But if you don't invest on human capital, you're just gonna stay on agricultural. That is one of the reasons why most of the developing countries are strong 
industrial or are are agricultural states because uh, one of their biggest assets are focused on agriculture rather than on 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 industrial or manufacturing because there is little investment on human capital so we have already noted the great disparities between in human capital around the world while discussing the human development index so compared with the developed countries much of the developing world has lagged in its average levels of nutrition health and education meaning without these uh, uh, points or variables to develop there is simply no way in progressing human capital as seen in the in the indicate or in the diagram that i posted so this is taken in our world in data so you can see comparison of 1990 versus 2017 it shows the number of deaths of children under age of five although it has in comparison to today that we have uh, amazingly decreased uh, child mortality rate under five but that does not really indicate that particularly in other countries those changes are not as big or as drastic so most of these countries that have still very high mortality rate for children are particularly situated on African countries so if you have a, a, a very unhealthy population that there is no economic productivity as well so the well-performing developing countries are much closer to the developed world in health education standards so than they are in the low-income countries although health conditions in East Asia are relatively good especially on on the sub-saharan uh, or unlike the sub-saharan Africa where it continues to be plagued by problems of malnourishment malaria tuberculosis AIDS and and uh, new developing ill disease like for example or pandemics like Ebola so despite the progress South, a South Asia continues to have high levels of illiteracy low schooling attainment and also undernourishment Aside from human capital, there is also higher levels of inequality and absolute poverty. So globally, the, 20, the poorest 20% of the people receive just 1.5 of the world income. So the lowest 20% now roughly corresponds to 1.4 billion people living in extreme poverty on less than $1.25 a day. Imagine earning a dollar and a one-fourth every day so that's in our context in the Philippines that's that's what so 50 pesos per day so that's 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 already uh, uh, unjustified type of income but that's the reality in, in some some other countries especially in countries where of course there it varies depending on the power purchasing parity okay one of the indicators as well of of the countries of developing countries that have that they have in common is higher levels of inequality and of course absolute poverty so 20 percent of the global population simply receives 1.5 percent of the world's income so so to to scale it so we approximately we approximately have 1.4 billion people living in extreme poverty and they earn less than one and a half or one and a fourth dollar one fourth dollar every day at purchasing power parity so although you might wonder maybe these this money is is easier to be spent in other countries since power purchasing parity dictates that it's very subjective but earning 
a dollar and one-fourth every day is simply not enough. That's in Philippines perspective, that's 50 pesos or, or 50 or 70 pesos. So that's, that's simply unsustainable. While, if you take note, the rest of the 10 or the, the wealthiest 10% of the world's population would require less than 2% of their incomes. So that would, that, that would really scale the difference between global inequality wherein 20% of the population, world population is living less than $1.25 a day while there, the other side of the world where 10% of the wealthiest people live earn billions and billions of dollars a day. So extreme poverty really represents a great human misery and to redress it is one of the biggest issues that global uh, development economics is trying to address especially that is in order to find ways to mitigate or slower us uh, to, to, to make the growth of poverty and inequality slower. And also one of the common indicators or one of the common qualities that developing countries have is higher population growth rates. Although we might argue that a higher population is, is, is indicating a healthy, a healthy population, well that's not always the case in terms of economics. Although you might have a, a, a huge number of workforce, but that's, that does not really tell if your, your, your population is capable to work on demanding or, or on the industries that are demanded by the world. So this is what we call as a dependency of burden, wherein the proportion of the total population age 0 to 15 and 65 plus, which is considered economically unproductive and therefore not counted in the labor force, meaning they are not able to produce uh, economic growth for the country so they have a, a huge number of growing population and they have a huge number of young population that does not contribute to the eco economy in general so not only are developing countries characterized by higher rates of population but they must also contend with greater dependency burdens than the rich nations it, that means if you are a, a middle-aged person and you have a, a, a family of four kids and you have also four grandparents because you are living in a, in a, uh, a very uh, tightly closed family setting or your family is very uh, extended so you are in charge of your kids education and growth and you are also in charge of your grandparents uh, uh, aging or like you're also in charge of their health for, for example like like in cases of the Philippines where uh, a lot of of the families are pretty much extended so it, it burdens the working class with both problems in terms of rearing their children and funding for education and also giving their older population health care and medical medical services which are not provided or supported by the government a hundred percent so that means it's more difficult for the middle-aged population to sustain themselves so pretty much it's not really cape uh, it's not really easy for families in comparison to the developed countries where there are services that would uh, give free education for their children and there are also services that would also give uh, free health care for their growing population and also aside from uh, population we have also a greater social fractionalization so what is fractionalization so fractionalization is 
particularly on, on a cultural basis where ethnic, linguistic, and other social divisions are, are within a country. So, for example, if the, 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 the greater the division of your country in terms of uh, ethnic and linguistic groups, the, 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 the difficult it is for these societies to come together and work with one another. A good example of that would be how Visayas, Luzon, and Mindanao have social tensions between each other and when you uh, gather them in one area they are they are very prone to result into conflict although ours is only very mild because we don't really clash with with each other in fact it's 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 somehow unheard of other countries like in in India where uh, uh, Hindu people particularly and uh, there are also uh, meetings or uh, uh, deadly clashes between uh, let me look it up for uh, for a while because because I don't want to be mistaken in uh, claiming what I'm saying. Yeah, a good example of of fractionalization would be on on pertaining to clashes of different cultures from different ethnic groups or religious groups, particularly on the phenomenon of the cow vigilantism in India, where Hindu nationalist groups tend to clash with particularly uh, Muslim Indian groups, especially on the case of of cow vigilantism where it's deemed by by Hindus generally by by them that cows are sacred and there are there are cases or reports which are not really that credible that uh, uh, other people are using cow's meat or killing cow for food or or killing cow for slaughter which which is definitely uh, slaughtering cows is banned in India but then it resulted into a more vigilante type of phenomenon where these people tend to take the law themselves and they hunt down uh, many suspected individuals who are who are who are committing cow slaughter so this has been a very big problem for human rights in in India because uh, vigilantism has become uh, more radical and it's very difficult to 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 address the certain issues because some of the victims were not even guilty of 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 killing or eating cows so some of them were just were just based by fear mongering or or crowd crowd mentality so it's not really a good a good indicator for economic development especially there is a fractionalization or cultural clashes between groups because if they cannot work together there is simply no way for them to work and uh, and and support the economy next we have larger rural populations but rapid to urban migration so you might you might think of this as very common in the philippines so i don't really need to explain this a lot one of the highlights of developing countries is its urgency to transition from an agricultural society to a to a to a capital or an industrial society so that means there is a rapid shift from agricultural to manufacturing and services so that means people in the rural side or the countryside are rushing in to live in urban areas because there is better benefits there so that is not in comparison to the developing countries so the developing countries in their history had a more more leeway in terms of developing or transitioning from from an agricultural to an industrial but unlike ours where post post cold war where we are somewhat urged to transition into a capitalist or industrial and and manufacturing 
uh, societies or economies, there is really little time for us to transition to educate and to, to, to create industries or infrastructures that would support a proper, a proper transition from an agricultural to a manufacturing industry. So it only creates more conflict in the city and it really uh, gives a big uh, disproportion in the agricultural sector, meaning you leave a lot of people out, you bring a lot of people in the city in where the city cannot accommodate all the people thus resulting to congestion and and pollution and so many other things like traffic while you're leaving the countryside's farmers with less of a substantial amount of labor force meaning although you are modernizing and then you are putting people in manufacturing you're also hurting the agricultural industry as well so that that's not really a good case for the in, for the developing countries Although this is not universal to all, to all developing countries, particularly in Asian countries and Africans, there is also a good, uh, a huge number of employment for the agricultural sector. But it's still very evident in Asian countries that there is a transition to, to urbanization from agricultural. Also, along with lower industrialization, developing nations have tended to have a higher dependence on primary exports so that would mean that instead of the national industry growing it's more of the uh, other countries whom they pref uh, whom engage with exports and trade are the ones who can benefit the most so most developing countries have diversified away from agricultural and mineral exports to some degree so that 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 entails that most of the uh, natural or raw materials are are provided by the developing countries which makes it harder for the developing countries to transition to an industrialized uh, society or economy because the market dictates that the demand for uh, agricultural and mineral exports are are strong another another qualities uh, another characteristics that have that developing countries share is adverse geography so many analysts argue that geography must play a role in some problems of agriculture public health and comparative underdevelopment because of course your 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 being situated also has benefits and of course at the same time uh, disadvantages so landlocked economies what uh, landlocked economies are countries that are within other countries or are surrounded by other countries meaning they have no seas for example particularly common in Africa often have lower incomes than coastal economies one of the reasons for it is because trade is harder to come by in landlocked countries rather than coastal countries because uh, peers are the biggest entry points of trade also as can be observed on the map on the inside cover of developing countries so are primarily tropical or subtropical that means they suffer more on tropical illness or parasites or pests and diseases such as dengue malaria so uh, water contamination and of course extreme heat so we might say that tropical countries have it better because they have beaches and nice resorts well it's not really the case if you are not a tourist because if you're a farmer in a tropical country you either have heavy rains or torrential rains or 
very scorching hot weather so there's no in between so a great concern also which affects these countries is the rapid uh, 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 deterioration of our global uh, of our planet which is particularly uh, what do you call that uh, particularly made by global warming so it's projected to have the greatest negative in impacts on African and South Asian countries so if you don't if you still don't believe <laughs> that climate change is affecting or, or climate change is not real so I have provided you a video in the next slide I want you to watch it so that you can learn how climate affects developing countries and also one of the biggest evidence in the Philippines of climate change is of course Yolanda so whether you like it or not uh, Yolanda is one of the worst typhoons because it's it it's a record breaker so for example uh, if you if you calculate the speed of the typhoon it's around 315 kilometers per hour while the standard typhoon is half of it so that's why the concept or the category of super typhoons was created it's because of Yolanda and of course we are experiencing these heavy typhoons because of climate change so if you want to learn more about how climate affects developing countries please watch this documentary it's a very interesting one and it's a very engaging one and uh, I also want to hear your thoughts about this if we can discuss it in the future and we are almost done so we are on the last two factors one of which is the underdeveloped market so uh, it's part of also on industrialization to have functioning and uh, equitable markets but in the case of developing countries they are they are the ones who really want to transition faster which then resulted to imperfect markets and incomplete information for the developing countries which would result that domestic markets have worked less efficiently so most of the qualities in our markets that we lack are particularly a legal system that enforces contracts and validates property rights so that's why most of the uh, most of the illicit trade and uh, piracy is very dominant in in the how do you call that in the developing countries particularly there is no system to regulate these these illicit trade and to a stable and trustworthy currency so one of the problems really that uh, developing countries countries are facing is particularly on inflation so if your currency is unstable in contrast to the dollar there is really pretty much more or less confidence for the people to invest in certain things so if you you think your money is very bad in terms of performance there is really no rationalization in investing in your country so other they would just keep the money for themselves and an infrastructure of roads and utilities to facilitate inter-regional trade is somewhat uncompletely realized in developing countries so so roads and in infrastructures are not well uh, provided and fourth a well-developed and efficient regu efficiently regulated system of banking and insurance is also not manifested in developing countries that's why there's also less investments because there's no there's less banking system that is trustworthy and stable next we also have substantial market information for consumers and producers about prices and quantities and qualities of products and resources as well as credit worthiness and potential borrowers so in other words there is really uh, less characteristics all right I'm sorry my my 
microphone was cut off but we ended I think on number five substantial market information for consumers so one of which is that uh, if your if your market is not really trustworthy there is really no no encouragement or no incentive for for consumers to engage in your market uh, a good experience of this is that uh, uh, even uh, particularly me when I go to the market I am very conscious about about how I transact and then uh, and then once I compare my experience towards like for example my grandmother who also frequently goes to the market so she would say that uh, you are you are paying so much for this one when in fact you can just sell it for this so so in other words there is really no uh, stable information or uh, substantial information to tell or to inform consumers and producers about prices so that means less confidence for consumers that's why uh, other people prefer to to buy in supermarkets because they think that the prices are stable while while if they go to local markets they think that uh, you need to know the people first or you need to 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 be or to to give the impression that uh, you are not someone who they can uh, who can make ilad in terms of the prices but so and lastly social norms that facilitate successful long-term businesses is not really realized in developing countries because uh, businesses for for example are 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 viewed as something as a taxing so in other words uh, developing countries are not really business minded to put it in a very simple uh, uh, understanding so so like that so a good indicator of that is how Filipinos view businesses and how gullible we are in Ponzi schemes so for example we want quick money so we 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 risk our money on Ponzi schemes and then a lot of the people will be will be scammed eventually while while others know how to invest on long-term business relationships so uh, business ethics is not really uh, a key characteristics for developing countries and lastly we go to one of the similar characteristics which I think by far is one of the one of the the heaviest or one of the uh, factors that impact the, the developing countries the most which is lingering colonial impacts and unequal international relations so so most of the developing countries were colonized by European countries so for example the Philippines is colonized by Spain so they have created institutions that favor the 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 colonial people and they have somewhat of a of a how would you call that uh, ineffective effect or rather uh, an ineffective application towards the the people in the from the from the locals themselves so w there are pernicious effects on development that in many cases have persisted in the present day so both domestically and internationally developing countries have more often lacked institutions and formal organizations of the type that have benefited the world so most of the institutions that were given or were taught by these uh, colonial um, mga people were uh, institutions that benefit or were easily understood by the colonial aspect but not for the locals so as a result it's it's actually the the foreign and uh, colonial institutions that had created a standard which would result to a lack of institutions and formal organizations of the type 
that could benefit the developed world. A good example would be domestically property rights have been less secure, constraints on the elites have been weak, and a smaller segment of society has been able to gain access to take advantage of economic opportunities because most of the ones who are who are dominating this were 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 with strong ties of the colonial of the colonial people recently so problems with also governance and public administration as well as poor performing markets often stem from poor institutions so if you create institutions it's like it's like anang uh it's like reading a book not in your language you simply cannot understand how things would work especially if it's not based on your context so that's why i'm giving you sample examples or situations that we can relate for us to further understand this is the case of the colonial legacy where we are given institutions we are given we are given ideas we are given norms that are 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 suitable for the colonial mindset but what and as a result it's not uh, doable for the the local so which created poor institutions and resulted to poor market performance and public administration another also example of of why the colonial or the or or the the rest of the world is making it harder for the developing states to develop is of course what they call as the external independent uh, dependence so this is particularly on on the case of uh of institutions created by the international organization so for example on on GATT on general agreements of tariffs and trade or wto basically united nations that have created or repeatedly developing countries have also been less well organized and influential in international relations that somehow it does not really uh support or 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 are applicable to their to their development so one good example of which where there are agreements within the world trade organization and its predecessor that is the GATT concerning matters such as agricultural subsidies in rich countries that harm developing country farmers and one-side regulations of intellectual property rights have often been relatively unfavorable for the developing world so uh, uh, an example i could give you also would be like how how easy it is to export goods from other countries or oh, sorry how easy it is to import goods from other countries while it's harder for us to export our products to them because of of the biases or the or the unfavorability of the developing world to to, to engage into trade meaning the more we export things the country that earns a lot of revenue is not actually our national economy it's the the, the country we are buying from and since they are the dominant or the one playing with the upper hand they really have the say to whether or not to engage trade with ours at a fair at a fair expense so there is really not much of a of a trade-off but rather it's more of the developing countries gaining more from ours in their exports while us are staggering or still climbing in terms of trade another also good example is uh, our our patronage to colonial products so like we prefer ex imported goods rather than local and we don't really see the effect in an economical sense but in reality it's not favorable for ours because we 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 somehow give money outside of the country rather than putting money inside so that's why it's also considered by the government to have OFWs as 
one of the saving graces for the Philippine economy because uh, instead of removing or or putting money outside of the Philippines the the Filipino families who are working abroad will send money in the Philippines thus putting money inside the economy so it's like uh, since we are not uh, equal in terms of trade then we will we will we will try to climb up via <laughs> uh, we will try to to adapt through OFWs so that ends our discussion for today particularly on the 10 traits or characteristics that developing countries have in common so for the next topic you will now focus on the comparison or the contrast or contrast discussions between the developing and the developed world so if you have questions about the topic please hit me up on discord and i will try to answer your questions as soon as i can so thank you everyone and have a great day ahead